Backyard Green Films is proud to present this episode of Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Alara and her husband, Rick, travel throughout the land in their teardrop trailer that they have nicknamed Maggie, bringing you stories about their travels and the people they meet. They visit farmers, ranchers, and just about anyone who loves putting their hands in the dirt or their feet in stirrups. For the past three years, they have been filming a documentary about heritage breed animals entitled The Holstein Dilemma, Heritage Breeds, and the Need for Biodiversity. In those travels, they have gotten to meet some very interesting people. Here's one of those interviews. We're celebrating our independence here in America this week. And what could be a more appropriate podcast to celebrate the 4th of July than an animal that represents the best of America, the Texas Longhorn? We sat down with two experienced ranchers from different areas, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Oh, yeah. This is John and Darlene Nelson. This is Clover Bloom Ranch in uh, east of Wellington, Colorado. And uh, uh, one thing um, I'll tell you about the name, Clover Bloom Ranch. My uh, grandmother and her brother, two brothers, came from Sweden, and they settled in Minnesota. And in 1920, they bought a farm in Minnesota, and the guy who, I think he had homesteaded it, his name was Mr. Clover, and he sold the farm to a man named Carl Bloom. And uh, so then they bought it from Carl Bloom, and they called their farm Clover Bloom Farm. <laughs> and that's where I used to spend my summers when I was a kid, uh, from Chicago, and I, that's how I got interested in cows. And so when we started this, of course, it was natural to call this Clover Bloom Ranch. Well, uh, I got kind of interested in longhorns and thought a little about them, read a little about them. And um, we bought two of them. We bought two cows and two calves, and they were bred back. So that's called a three-in-one package. So we had those, and by the time we got them out here, because we didn't have our fences up yet, we had six. And you know, it doesn't take long before those six become 12, and then those 12 become 24. <laughs> I'm Debbie Davis. I'm a breeder of Texas Longhorn cattle uh, in South Central Texas. My ranch is DWD Longhorns and I am registrar and past president of the Cattlemen's Texas Longhorn Registry. I can't say all this in Robert Mitchum's or Sam Elliott's voice, but I'll do my best. Beef, barbecued, burgered, or bratwurst. It's what will be on our grill this Thursday for the July 4th celebration. And now to Texas, the land that people to this day associate with cowboy hats and dusty boots where wildcatters became oil barons, where pure gumption, sweat, and stubbornness turned wide-open emptiness into productive ranches with beef cattle as far as the eye could see. Texas, with the famous Chisholm Trail driving from somewhere near San Antonio through to the railhead in Kansas City to take good American beef to the railhead to feed a hungry eastern populace. And what is more representative than the great state of Texas and the U.S. of A. than the Texas Longhorn? Purebred gumption and feistiness, built like an unnamed Detroit truck brand. Solid, beefy, massive horns up to eight feet, pure power, 
feisty as anything, often aggressive and dangerous animals to be around, and sometimes just plain mean. They're pure American, and they originate right here in these United States. Um, honey, they aren't really supposed to be more dangerous than any other kinds of cattle. Well, of course they are. All of that power and the cartoons with the smoke coming out of their nostrils? No, people actually use them for riding sometimes. If you get in between a calf and a cow, of course, you'll have problems. But they aren't necessarily meaner than other cattle. I'll let our ranchers tell you about it. Uh, they're, they're very intelligent animals, so they adapt to their environment. Uh, they're gentle by nature. So 300 years ago, they may have been wild in the brush, but they have adapted very well to a, a grass-fed environment. They'll, they'll do well in uh, high-intensity grazing. We've had longhorns that have been so tame you couldn't get them removed when you want them removed. And we've had longhorns that were so wild and mean that we wouldn't keep them around here. And the ones that were wild and mean, we got rid of them right away. We just take them to the sale barn and sell them for slaughter. Um, we had a little bull one time, he was a yearling bull, and he came out of a, a, a mama cow that was pretty wild and, 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 and not mean, but she was a little hard to handle. And um, one day he just, uh, it was like on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and he kind of charged after me like that. I kicked him in the nose and he backed off, put him in the pen. Thursday, I took him to the sale barn. <laughs> I said, I don't want you around here. I don't have to have that around here. Oh, well, look how big they are. All of that muscle and power. I mean, they're just plain meaty, beef. And they look like they could drink the Rio Grande dry. Um, honey, they aren't all that way. They were originally range cattle, and only the thrifty ones really made it. Many of them lived in the brush. Let's listen. Uh, the, the traditional Texas Longhorn that went up the trails in the 1800s, they were a leaner, rangier kind of animal. They were long legs, very clean underneath, uh, without a lot of skin to get caught in underbrush and thorns that was prevalent in Texas. Uh, they are able to convert the available forage that is in their area to a, a lean muscle. Uh, they're going to utilize all the nutrients and that over a long period of time is going to create a very flavorful product. Yeah, but the horns though. That's more of a recent thing. Their horns have a twist. Uh, they, they grow out of an oval shaft, sort of like people with wavy hair versus people with straight hair. Straight hair comes out of a, a round shaft grows straight. Wavy hair comes out of an oval shaft, so it does this as it grows. Well, that's what happens with, with the longhorns, with the, the twisty horns. The females have the, the prettiest twist or the steers because they lack that testosterone that's going to make the, the horns come out for fighting because that's what they were for for the bulls. Uh, the, the strongest survived. They got to breed. There, it has become popular over the last, well actually over the last 40 years, to cross the traditional cattle with African genetics 
to get a larger horn, they get a larger base if you cross them with African cattle. Um, they'll get a larger body if you cross them with European cattle. A lot of that was driven by the show ring because the larger, beefier animals were judged by the beef judges, so they would win. So people started breeding for that bigger body, not realizing that they were changing the breed and taking away some of those really desirable characteristics like calving knees. <laughs> you don't want a huge calf. And when you start having hobby breeders uh, with contest measuring tip to tip and the ones with the widest horns win, that's not a longhorn. That's a composite breed that has value in itself, but it is not, um, it was not made by, ma by nature. And you're gonna lose some of the valuable characteristics that the heritage breed has to offer. There's a book called The Longhorns by Frank Doherty. You ought to read that. It's a, about that thick, but it's a real good book about the Longhorns. And he's got some pictures of the old Longhorns. You saw our, our bull out here. He's got those horns that go out like this. And I think those are like 80-some uh, inches tip to tip, you know, oh, seven feet long from tip to tip. When we first got into this, uh, 60 inches was the thing. If you got a bull that had horns that went over 60 inches, that was good. Now a 60 inch bull isn't gonna sell. You gotta have over 70, and you really gotta have over 80. Well, you see, I also like to sell my longhorns. <laughs> and you aren't gonna sell, you aren't gonna get good money for a longhorn that doesn't have big horns. I think it's getting to be a little overblown. I think it's getting to be too big. And everybody wants lateral horns, the horns that go out like that. And uh, like that one cow we have down there, her horns go up and go around and kind of curl. They, that's pretty, I like that. Now, in, in Frank Doherty's time, I'll bet those horns weren't, weren't, weren't two feet from tip to tip. And they, were, they, came out, they came out of the head like this, went up and went back. They were, the, they were the, in the, the scrawniest cattle. If you had a cow like that and tried to sell her, you'd never sell her in, the, in today's market. And by the way, they didn't really originate here. What? Of course they did. No, they actually came from a couple of different places. The legend is that the, uh, Christopher Columbus brought some cattle with him from Spain. And, um, and they came to, like... Uh, I think he came to Florida then. He had landed in the West Indies before that, but the, this was his second voyage. And, uh, and then the legend is that the cattle got loose and all this and that and so on. And there's probably some truth to some of that. But the Spanish were coming here in the 1500s, you know, right after Christopher Columbus, the Spanish started coming to South America and they brought cattle with them. There was a guy named Gregorio Villalobos who brought a bunch of cattle with him. And uh, they came up and, you know, they didn't have real good fences and stuff. Then a lot of their corrals were made just out of cactus. They just plant cactus around and then the cattle couldn't get through the cactus. And um, so a lot of cattle got loose there and so on. And so there was a lot of wild cattle. And, uh, and down in the chaparral in southern 
Texas, there was a, a lot of room for wild cattle. They could hide. There were a lot of people running around in there and so on. And uh, so they were down there. Now, those cattle were the only ones who really survived were the hardiest. And there's one thing about them was that they, they there's a type of tick that is uh, that sucks on the on the uh, blood on the cattle, and it, I don't know if it can kill them, but it can make them pretty sick anyway. And the Texas Longhorns developed a natural immunity to the ticks. The ticks didn't bother them. So these cattle lived down in in uh, the chaparral in southern Texas. And so then uh, after the Civil War, there were a lot of cowboys down there, and they had a, you know, what are we going to do now? What, we got to do something to make a living and stuff. Well, some guy found out that if he took a bunch of cattle up to Kansas, he could buy them for 10 cents a head down there and sell them for over a dollar up here and ship them east. They could make a lot of money on this. So they started doing that. So then they started going down and buying cattle down there. Now, the interesting thing was, here's how you bought cattle in those days. You'd have a piece of land, several thousand acres, and uh, I'd come to you and I'd say, I want to buy your the longhorns on here, buy the cattle. They were just the wild cattle. They didn't call them longhorns necessarily. I want to buy the cattle on here. Okay. Um, and the, the guy who owned the land would have an idea of how many head he thought he had on there. And he'd tell the guy, okay, you got uh, so-and-so many. You go around, look around, see what you think. Tell me how many head you think are in there. So uh, we decide among ourselves that there's 3,000 head of cattle in there. So you'd pay me for 3,000 head of cattle. Now you've got six months or nine months or whatever to go and, and uh, round up 3,000 head of cattle, but you might not get all 3,000. You probably wouldn't. But as you got as many cattle as you could in that time period, and they belonged to you then. And you'd take them in, put them in corrals, and those cowboys must have been just, they must have been tough. They, they would ride through that chaparral, and those, the, the thorns on the cactus and that, that's why you see these, these Mexican saddles, you know, with the big steel uh, protection on the tips, gloves, heavy uh, leather so that the uh, cactus didn't cut through. And they would take those um, cattle in, they'd rope them, <laughs> they'd castrate them, make them steers. They'd uh, put them in pens and corrals and keep them in there and get them all gathered up. And uh, time's up. Now that's what that's the cattle you own. So now you got two thousand head of cattle. Now you're going to move them north. Well, you got to get some cowboys. So you get a hundred head of horses. That's your remuda, and you get ten cowboys. You let the cowboy go out and pick out which ten horses he wanted to have for his, you know, trail ride, and you'd make a contract with them that you'd pay them so much when they got to the trail up to Kansas City or Dodge or wherever you're, not Kansas City, but Dodge City or uh, some of the other ones on western Kansas. And some of them took them all the way up to Nebraska and um, up to Montana too. But uh, you'd have those 10 cowboys riding, driving 2,000 head of cattle. The Texas Longhorn in today's environment uh, is valuable in the Southwest because 
we don't need inputs from urban areas. Uh, we, we can get by without routine veterinary visits. Um, the, the cattle really do take care of themselves and because water is scarce, this breed is uniquely adapted to our area where they may have to travel a great distance from water. Texas Longhorns are a breed that evolved in the United States from uh, stock that was introduced by Spaniards and missionaries in the 1500s uh, that colonized the area and then the animals went feral as missions were abandoned. So these animals evolved free from selection by man for about 350 years. Uh, they are uniquely adapted to the arid climate of the Southwest and Mexico, uh, Northern South America. Uh, they can travel great distances to find water and forage. Uh, they have the big horns to fight off predators. They, um, because they were not a pampered breed, they don't have any calving difficulties. Uh, raise their young with no trouble, uh, they're disease resistant, a lot of good things for um, an animal out in the, in the southwest. So at least did I get the Sam Elliott part right that I talked about in the beginning? Beef, it's what's for dinner. And then one thing is longhorn beef is really good. And I'll tell you why, this is my theory, but I think I'm right. <laughs> of course I think I'm right. But longhorns were wild animals for 500 years. And they developed a type of meat that it's not gamey, but if you overcook it, it can be a little gamey, sort of. But it's, it's got flavor to it. It's got some good flavor to it. And it has that flavor without having a lot of fat in it. If you have a Hereford or an Angus or those, especially Wagyu, you know, Wagyu is a big deal nowadays. Wagyu beef, has seams of fat in it, a quarter of an inch, not a quarter of an inch, but an eighth of an inch thick, running through it. You can see it in the, in the Wagyu beef in the, in the store. And the reason it has so much fat is so that makes it taste good. They gotta have that fat in with the meat to make it taste good. Longhorns don't have to have that fat. They really do produce a, um, a flavorful, lean, tender, beef. Uh, that, that's a misconception that I've had to overcome marketing beef. Uh, you have to get people to try it to understand this is really good and then they come back. Uh, it, the, um, the beef flavor is intensified in one, they, they take longer to mature. So they're going to be a little bit older animal. You, you don't want to take a 15-month-old longhorn to market. They're still growing. You take a 26-month-old, 28-month-old to market, and you have a really high-quality product. But they aren't just part of a history lesson. Here's how they can contribute to beef cattle operations of today. Texas longhorn mamas are very protective of their young. They're, they're very good mamas. They're highly fertile, uh, live to, to reproduce to 16, 17, 18 years old. 
and crossing a, a, a European bull with these cattle, you're going to get that hybrid vigor. They're going to grow quickly, they're going to be super hardy, the mamas are going to take care of them. So you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting this big calf like the, they want in the market. Uh, and the mamas are real easy keepers. They're a small animal, they don't require much feed. Uh, and then from a, a purebred standpoint, uh, I'm, I'm a, a breeder of, of seed stock. So I want to make sure that my cattle are genetically pure and historically correct so I can provide uh, seed stock for these other producers that is going to be guaranteed to be the, the genuine article. You're going to get that hybrid figure that you want. I have to say that one of my very favorite trips is when we went to Denver to see the National Western Stock Show and the Longhorns that lead the parade that starts the whole thing off. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's a guy, a friend of ours. He, he was one of the guys, he's been in the business a long time. And he and, and his partner, his name is Stan Searle and his partner is Gary Lake. And they have a ranch together called Silverado Ranch. And Stan has done this for years. And he has a herd of cattle that, that you can take to town. <laughs> this is uh, a day or two before stock show opens. Takes them from Union Station, down 17th Street, down to around by the Brown Palace Hotel, loads them up there. And that is a lot of fun to go and watch that. And uh, one, you know, the, the, this is part of the parade, and they're leading the parade sort of. Not really leading, they're usually you know, they have the color guard and the stagecoach ahead of them and this and that, and then come the Longhorns. Well, the police will, every once in a while, stop the parade and let the cross traffic go through. Well, this one time, it was right on the corner where I was standing watching them. <laughs> the cop was not a cowboy, I'll tell you that. He decided this is a good time to stop the parade and let the cattle through, so he stopped the parade. <laughs> they got this whole herd of Longhorns there. Well. I'll tell you, well, Stan and Gary have a lot of cowboys helping them with this thing. When they had to stop the cattle there, those cowboys got those cattle gathered up really nice and tight until the cop finally decided to let the parade move on, then, they, then the cattle could keep moving. Uh, it's fun to watch. Wow, what a great perspective from two passionate, practical, and experienced ranchers who understand the reality of today's beef cattle economics while still recognizing the value of the history of their breed. Since this is the time we're celebrating our existence in the United States, and being proud of our identity, I find myself thinking about the philosophy of it all, and the connection between how we evolve as people and how our animals are representative of that as well. It's a personal perspective that's different for each of us as to what makes us Americans, and is constantly evolving on a personal and a national level. So when it comes down to it, maybe the Texas Longhorn is the perfect representation of where we came from and where we could be going as Americans. These cattle are immigrants, as are most all of us. They were mostly of one lineage, but with a few other things tossed in. These cattle and many of the people in this country started in this place by arriving on a big boat after a long ocean voyage. They sometimes planted themselves in one spot, but sometimes struck out across unknown territory in often inhospitable locations. They survived difficult conditions, adjusted to pests, hazards, and lack of resources, 
often through sheer stubbornness, gumption, blood, sweat, and tears. The strong ones made it and actually thrived on conditions that would have and did kill the less strong. Their ability to adapt to new and often frightening changes and to persevere and progress is truly an impressive thing. I'm a child of hardworking, thrifty, stubborn immigrants. All of my people arrived on a boat, some in the 1900s, some in the 1800s, and some in the 1600s. We all came from one lineage on one side and two different ones on the other, but with different characteristics that often developed into a stronger organism when combined. Most of them had a very limited resource pool when they got here. They were familiar with a different language than was spoken by the general populace and had to adjust to having less of everything as they spread across a new country. So I, for one, am proud to have the old school, tough, feisty when necessary, calm when not, not always flashy, rangy Texas Longhorn here to represent me as an American. When you're standing at the grill this Thursday, I hope the saga of the Texas Longhorn crosses your mind as it did for me and has given you food for thought. Happy 4th of July, America, regardless of your origin or your destination. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. This is how we keep going. And please tell your friends to join us. Please feel free to post any questions or comments that you might have to our social media sites. Our Twitter feed is at Backyard Green Films, spelled B-K-Y-R-D-G-R-E-E-N-F-I-L-M-S. Our Instagram is at Backyard Green Films, B-A-C-K-Y-A-R-D-G-R-E-E-N-F-I-L-M-S. Our Facebook is Backyard Green Films. Our YouTube URL is youtube.com Backyard Green TV. If you'd like to see a video clip from our visit to Clover Bloom Ranch in Wellington, Colorado, please go to our YouTube channel. John Nelson took us out in his four-wheeler, one of my favorite things to do, and parked us smack dab in the middle of his herd. Rick had a few Wild Kingdom moments, but even though they were swinging those big horns around, the cattle were aiming for the flies more than Rick. What a fun visit. If you would like more information on the Texas Longhorns, here are some different resources for you. The Livestock Conservancy can be found at livestockconservancy.org. The Cattlemen's Texas Longhorn Registry represents the old line of original Texas Longhorns that are now endangered. Their website can be found at ctlr.org. For John Nelson's website, please visit cloverbloomlonghorns.com. For Debbie Davis's website, please visit wdwlonghorns.com. You have been listening to Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Please tune in for more upcoming episodes from our travels. We'd also like to thank our producer, Michelle Council. I'm Rick Bowman, your behind-the-scenes editor. Until next time. 
This has been a presentation of Backyard Green Films Productions. All rights reserved. Copyright 2019.